Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you're inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello and welcome back to a special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series on C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. Today we dive into the love of friendship, philia in Greek. And so we just got done with affection and we're saving eros or romantic love for the next chapter, concluding with agape, that divine love, and today to spend some time on friendship. And this is one of the most beautiful chapters. It's often overlooked, and he's going to address that of why modern man dismisses friendship all the time, overlooks it. And let's see if at the end of this chapter, we're not convinced of the beauty and the real value of this love that's unique and give such meaning to life. So friendship, let's dive in. He starts off talking about how to the ancients, the Greeks, this was one of the highest loves, a school of virtue. Think about that, right? A school of virtue with with your friends. Friends, those people that we choose out of a common goal or task or um, mission that we have that then emerges these special relationships and that virtue of one friend, uh, thinking about scripture, iron sharpening iron, as friends can do, of coming together, calling the best out of one another to be better, to work harder, to be more generous, um, to be responsible and to not let not let one another down. All these things, this school of virtue to bring out the best. And then he says, to us moderns, we ignore it. (laughs) It's like, wait, what? And why? And he gives a couple of reasons. We'll go through those. He says, first, the reason that most of us today ignore it is because few experience it. Few experience it. Friendship, he says, is the least natural of loves. It's the least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. He'll come back and um, tease this out more, but it's just an interesting thing of the, like that it's not necessary. And therefore, because, um, yeah, there are plenty of us who would really experience it and be easy to dismiss it. Throughout this chapter, he has some great, throughout the whole book, but this chapter in particular, I just noticed he has some great lines. Listen to this, where he's talking about friendship in comparison to uh, storge, affection, and eros, romantic love. He says, without eros, none of us would have been begotten. And without affection, none of us would have been reared. But we can live and breed without friendship. I love that, right? 
Eros is that like magnetic force that brings two people of the opposite sex together. And with that sexual drive, that gift that God has given to men and women, have then the potential of reproducing. And then affection, that bond between especially parents and their children. Without that, God's children are a burden. And thank God for affection to keep those uh, parents interested in their kids. And so... But we can live and breed, we can love and breed without friendship. Yeah, it's easy to, to kind of go without it. And in our day-to-day, that's very much about what's practical, what's efficient, and what's necessary. Friendship can easily kind of just be navigated through. I don't really need it. Oh, and how sad. He talks about this time period, um, of romanticism that exalted sentimentality and even instinct. And this then really put the emphasis also on emphasizing romantic love by the sentimentality and affection by exalting the instincts. A third reason that he says that we ignore uh, friendship is that it is selective against the collective group. So, yeah, what would be a an instance of that? Well, if you've ever been excluded from a, a group before, yeah, what's your reaction? It's very easy to say, like, yeah, well, forget you. If you, <laughs> if you guys are going to form your own your own group, and yep, I'll I'll do it myself. I'll go, I'll go on this journey on my own, and that can just be kind of our our response whenever we have that feeling of being excluded, and so. This uh, selectivity of friendship is a real essential part of what it is. And so necessarily there are going to be some who are in the group and some who are outside of the group. And that can make for a prickly set of experiences. The next part that he goes into I think is fascinating. And maybe for a whole other podcast we could talk about this. But he attacks the idea that every firm and serious friendship is really homosexual. And he emphasizes that word, really homosexual, not in the like really over the top, but as if it's like subliminal or under the radar and and what looks like just really close bonds between two people of the same sex are actually romantic. And this is incredibly prophetic of what he was able to see whenever he wrote this back in the 50s, I believe it was, that he wrote this, and where we are today, right? Notice what this is. This is the conflating, twisting of friendship love from romantic love. And notice how in our world today, where we overemphasize the romantic, the sexualization of everything, how hard it is for us to appreciate that two people who are really exclusive, are really close, or are even really uh, open, vulnerable, um, would really share their lives with one another, that, oh, that that, that must be romantic, is kind of in the back of our minds now, because we've just been told, like, this is the way we have to, to think about it. No way could they actually just be friends. How sad, right? And this is why this 
book, one of the reasons why this book is so important for us is to be able to reclaim the differences between these loves. Because if we don't understand their differences, then we're not going to be able to appreciate even the gift of what it means to be a true friend versus what it means to be a true lover. And if we don't know the difference, then it's going to be easy to confuse it and, and in the end, miss both of them. There, um, again, for an, another podcast, but there was an incredible article that I read several years back. Um, and the argument was just some of the really unfortunate casualties of the sexual revolution, especially as it relates to same-sex quote-unquote marriage. And he says one of the casualties that no one's talking about, but we're going to very quickly see, is the loss of um, same-sex friendships, right? Friendships between young boys, young men, between young girls, young women. We're going to start to see those completely erode. And this falls in this same vein here, that if we're not able to really appreciate what is true eros, romantic love, then we're not going to be able to appreciate what it means to have a real friendship. And there's been this whole movement by the progressive side that will kind of rewrite history, rewrite entertainment, and look at different novels, different movies, and say that, ah, look, look here. They didn't call it this, but what really was binding these two characters together was romantic love. It's like, oh my gosh, no, they were actually just really good friends. But we're not allowed to see that now or appreciate it. But we need to. We need to. Okay, off the soapbox, back back to Lewis. He says, those who cannot conceive friendship as a substantive love, but only as a disguise or elaboration of eros, betray that they have never had a friend. Oh, that might sound harsh, but I think there's truth to that too. It's, it's like out of this insecurity, because many people have experienced eros, that, that romantic love, that pull, that attraction. How many people have really experienced friendship? And if I haven't, then that can just be an easy attack to level. It's like, oh, it's not true friendship. It's actually romance. This is a, a really important quote for capturing the essence of friendship. He says, lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends, hardly ever about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side-by-side, absorbed in some common interest. Above all, eros, while it lasts, is necessarily between two only. But two, far from being the necessary number for friendship, is not even the best. He'll go on to say that two friends delight to be joined by a third and three by a fourth If only the newcomer is qualified to become a real friend. For in this love, to divide is not to take away. Isn't that great? Just kind of appreciating the orientation. Lovers looking face to face like the whole world could be 
being demolished around them and they don't care. They're just like interested and gazing into each other's eyes and talking about their love and, and their interests and their background, their history and their future. And it's just like, it's them, 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 them. And friends, no, no, no. Like they're not gazing into each other's eyes. They have a mission. They have a place to go. They have, if it's, if there's something to talk about, it's, do you see the same reality that I do? Do you see the same truth that I do? How do we accomplish this? How do we go deeper? How do we call out the best in one another to, um, to live rightly? And, and that's just a beautiful, like this side by side, we're taking on the world together. And in that, there's like this freedom to bring in a third and a fourth. It's, it's selective and there is some exclusivity, but the exclusivity is, is only in a, a way that has this clear demarcation of uh, what has brought them together and what binds them together that can be shared. So just like a, an important distinction as opposed to romance. So hopefully that makes sense. And yeah, a lot more that could be said about that in reference to, yeah, just the over-sexualization of our world today, and especially between two individuals of the same sex. Okay, he goes on to talk about where does friendship come from? He talks about males in ancient times having common missions as hunters or soldiers. This shared mission or experience was what bound the individuals together. And this, he says, sets up the overall matrix of companionship. And this is a really important distinction, this difference between companions and friends. Uh, he kind of uses this word, he calls about, what does he say, like clubbables, people that you could go to the club with. And this word club is not the same word that, um, that does not have the same connotation <laughs> that we have maybe today with, uh, with clubs. But uh, but just, yeah, going to the bar, going to get something to drink, some someone that you could go and grab a beer with, grab a coffee with, like that kind of companion. We, I think, more commonly use a distinction, distinction not between like companions um, and friends. We might say friends and best friends. And in that, kind of think about, okay, how, how many friends do you have? And maybe you could think about, yeah, I don't know, tens of friends or hundreds of friends. I don't don't know. How many best friends do you have? I don't know, a handful? Like like people that really know you, that you can really share your life with and are brought into seeing the world in in the same way. And, And we'll talk about later are friends who have been tried and tested and are, are there for you no matter what, like those types of friends. Yeah, three, five. I'm kind of of the, the feeling it'd be good to recover the real dignity of the word friend. We throw it around today all the time and technology, social media has really watered this down too. that on Facebook or whatever you can, you can have thousands of friends or you can have all these followers and, and what does that really mean in reality? Just people who have access to information about you or pictures about you. But to think about a real friend is so much more than that. I forget who was telling me even um, 
This was someone who was involved with the Steubenville Youth Conferences, these conferences that happen every single summer, hosting thousands of youth from all over the country and at this point all over the world. And there was this insight that he shared saying, you know, it wasn't too long ago that to be able to to speak to the youth and connect them to a relationship with the Lord, all you had to say to them was, God desires to have a friendship with you. And that just broke open this like window of, oh, this is the type of love that God wants to have, like the relationship that God wants to have with me. And he said, nowadays, we actually have to describe for them what it means to have a friendship. And I've never forgotten that. I think that's fascinating and so true that we use this word, but especially the younger generations don't really appreciate what that means or what that looks like. And so to recover it, again, like what an important chapter this is and book in general. So here is another really important description. Um, It starts, the paragraph starts off, friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share, and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And then uh, he goes on to say that it is then that a friendship is born. And instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. So pause there and just appreciate, does this ring true at all with any of the the friendships that have born in, in your life? That it wasn't out of this, I need to find a friend, but it was, here we are with all these different companions, all these buddies. And then out of the conversation out of the the shared activity or mission whatever it is there comes to be this recognition of oh you share this idea too or you share this deeper belief as well and then there's the like like this bond just instantly and that movement then from the the group of companions down to this solitude that like oh and here we are together kind of standing outside of the flock, so to speak. It's it's an interesting experience and more on, more on that because he he'll say in in just the next section about how friendship cannot be sought for itself. But here's an important point before that in the next paragraph, he says, lovers seek for privacy, emphasis on the seek. They're, they look for privacy, like it's just us. We got to get away just to be alone, us too. We'll go out for dinner, movie, and, and just to be by ourselves. He says, friends find this solitude about them, this barrier between them and the herd, whether they want it or not. They would be glad to reduce it. The first two would be glad to find a third. Okay, so yeah, there's going to necessarily be this distinction between the friends and the rest of the group. And that, that just happens naturally. 
Okay, he, he goes on to say that friendship cannot be sought for itself. This is an interesting thing. He says, Hence, we picture lovers face to face, but friends side by side. Their eyes look ahead. This is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Amazing insight, right? Um, and I, I don't think we should uh, take take to heart or too seriously the word uh, pathetic. He doesn't mean that as a derogatory term, but just literally like um, pathetic, like those people who are suffering. That's literally what the word pathetic comes from. <laughs> um, yeah, like those people who, who sadly just want friends would be a be- like a better way to say that. Who just want friends can never make any. Why? Because they're trying to find the very thing that to find it, the friendship, it actually forms as a, a byproduct, right? A secondary experience from this pursuit of a common good. And without a real pursuit of a common good, uh, an authentic friendship can't be born out of that. And that's really hard and, and frustrating because in our, our world today where we suffer from, if you will, a pandemic of isolation and loneliness, sometimes we kind of talk about a remedy. You just need to find some friends. You just need to find find some friends. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll go like, I want to make some friends. And what are we doing? We're setting ourselves up for failure if we're looking for this friendship. And so, again, maybe I'm equivocating, and that's where it's it's kind of hard to make the distinction when we have so watered down this term of friend and we're like, what it means. But, you know, on the one hand, it's like, okay, to get out of ourselves, out of our loneliness, we just need to find other companions, other buddies. Like, are there another group of people your own age, your own sex that are going out and doing something that you also enjoy? That I would say, that's a good remedy. Great. Go out and do that. But now can we appreciate that next step though, to like find an exclusive friend has to be natural. It can't be forced. Otherwise, it will necessarily be frustrating. Okay, moving on. Um, In the next couple paragraphs, he goes on to, oh, ask the age-old question. Can those of the opposite sex be friends? (laughs) Are you ready? Um, Well, He starts off and he says, it gets complicated as um, friendship tends between the opposite sex. It tends towards romance, that eros, that erotic love. And he says also, conversely, we've seen plenty of romances that may lead to friendships between the lovers. He says, the coexistence of friendship and eros may also help some moderns to realize that friendship is in reality a love and even as great a love as Eros. Are you ready? Can I read this whole paragraph to you? 
sorry, I wrote, I read you the, the first line by accident. I want to read you the whole thing. This is a great, um, yeah, a great thought, a great thought experiment. So listen and, and follow along. The coexistence of friendship and Eros may also help some moderns to realize that friendship is in reality a love and even as great a love as Eros. Suppose you're fortunate enough to have fallen in love with and married your friend. And again, friend, he means like your best friend. Imagine you married your best friend. And now suppose it possible that you were offered the choice of two futures. Either you two will cease to be lovers, but remain forever joint seekers of the same God, the same beauty, the same truth. Or else, losing all that, you will retain as long as you live the raptures and ardors, all the wonder and the wild desire of Eros. Choose which you please. Which would we choose? Which choice should we not regret after we had made it? So again, like what an amazing thought. Like, yeah, if, if you married your best friend and you had to give up the friendship or the romance, which one would you be more willing to sacrifice? And a lot of people would say, I, I imagine, like, I want my best friend. <laughs> like, that's what I want more than anything. Um, I like to say that, you know, in doing marriage prep, a lot of times I have the, the chance to kind of ask them why they want to get married to the other person. And I've heard some of the most beautiful explanations, insights of the other person. And, and yet almost always there's some sort of explanation or like to try and just share with me, like, father, you don't understand. They're my best friend. And this is really insightful, right? That when I ask them, why do you want to marry the other person? They don't, they don't appeal to the strong romantic feeling that they have towards one another, like the romance, the chemistry, the fireworks, what they appeal to of why they want to spend the rest of their lives with this other person of the opposite sex and start a family is their friendship. So we kind of have this deep sense within us, do we not? That friendship is in a, a real way, even higher than romance, than sexual love. So what a beautiful thing to, um, to really appreciate about this, this love and just how powerful it is. So it's complicated between uh, a, a friendship between two people of the opposite sex because it tends towards romance. If you were able to do the reading, um, you'll probably also see that Lewis is writing at a time when men and women were still very much separated they didn't have much of a shared life. They had a separation of work, educational opportunities, and even interests in general. He even has this great admission that he says, I'm writing to you about what male friendships look like and not about female friendships because I have no idea what that would look like. <laughs> and to us, it's like, what do you mean? Like a friendship is a friendship. Like why would there be that big of a difference between male friendships and female friendships? Or perhaps, or maybe not, maybe you don't think that. But for him, it's just a given that the friendships that females have is qualitatively different than that between 
two men. And so it's something of his of his time that then he goes on to describe how how difficult that actually is to integrate women into men's friendships and and men into women's friendships and and even the seeking it out and the inserting of oneself kind of opens up either an utter rejection or like an overly patronizing acceptance, which in the end just ruins the very friendship that they were seeking out to begin with. And so anyway, I was kind of thinking about this. I don't know what you all think. In a certain sense, there's something there's something beautiful about how today there's been a, a leveling out of the social field so such that this isn't the case as much. That men and women can share a lot of the same uh yeah, pursuits and missions and work and yeah, every even like beliefs and things like that. There isn't as much of a a necessary gap there. But I think there's also uh yeah, a real breakdown in that that I think is something to to kind of grieve as well. That we I guess what I want to say, there's been so many revolutions, especially in terms of technology, that I think have almost gone to hurt our ability to appreciate just what a real male friendship looks like, and even to appreciate just the uniqueness of what it means to be a man. And so, yeah, things like the Industrial Revolution, birth control, technologies that have taken away many of the riskier occupations that men necessarily would have um, taken, even technologies that have reduced our information all to entertainment. And so I was thinking, like, I don't know, most of the reason why men and women can have a shared friendship is because a lot of the conversations that take place are all in this kind of like banal uh, level of entertainment and just kind of like, yeah, what movie, what book or what, uh, yeah, I don't know what the latest relationship is or the latest news piece. And so anyway, it's kind of been uh, reduced of its substantive value. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know if that was a uh, too much of a tangent or, um, or if I even said anything of quality there, but yeah, just kind of thinking about this is a really important question of friendships between the opposite sex. And because there's something uniquely different about the power that men and women together have, as opposed to men and women and on their own. And that needs to be respected. Uh, okay. Just another, uh, half hour more. <laughs> we'll get through this whole chapter. It was a long chapter. I'm going to, uh, just make a couple more points and then can send you off, uh, to dive into romance. Can we appreciate? Yes. Appreciation. That's what we should do. He says, friendships are unnecessary and kind of emphasizing this again. So C.S. Lewis argues against the push to call them practical, but that is not so much friendships as it is an ally. And so, yeah. 
it's very easy for people to, to talk about just how necessary friends are in the workplace or maybe out on the battlefield. It's someone that can really that we can team up with and can be beneficial for a project, for a war, for a community. And he pushes back against this. No, it's actually very much not what friendship is. Um, he has this great quote on, it's my page 70, where he talks about friendships are kind of stereotyped by this don't mention it expression. He says, the mark of perfect friendship is not that help will be given when the pinch comes, of course it will, but that having been given, it makes no difference at all. It was a distraction, an anomaly. It was a horrible waste of the time, always too short, that we had together. Perhaps we had only a couple of hours in which to talk, and God bless us, 20 minutes of it has had to be devoted to affairs. So what a neat, um, what a neat thing, just to like, uh, the, the, the thing that I would appreciate most about a, a friendship is just the ability to be with the same person about business that really isn't about getting anything done or accomplishing anything. And if we have to, then, then great. But in the end, uh, yeah, to spend that time together and to stand shoulder to shoulder and, and to live our lives together. That's the, the beautiful thing. So friendship is, it's also not inquisitive like eros or romance right? Romance is always looking to inquire into your life, your history. What's our future going to look like? And the only thing that is of interest for friendship is, do you see the same truth? Do you see the same truth? Are we living the same life? Are we under the same beliefs, under this, appreciating the same principles? Um, and why is that important? Well, it's important because in romance, there can be this real like inquiry into knowing everything about the other person where, yeah, background matters, family matters, um, beliefs matter, and status matters. But in friendship, there's like this uh, stripping away and just like a freedom to really be completely available to the other person no matter what. So let me see if I can find this quote that speaks to that. Okay, here it is. He says, It is an affair of disentangled or stripped minds. Eros will have naked bodies. Friendship, naked personalities. Again, like these great lines, um, just turning one on the other. So eras will have naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities. It's like, here I am. You can see me. You can receive me, all of me. Um, and so he'll go on to say, hence, this is the start of the paragraph. Hence, if you will not misunderstand me, the exquisite arbitrariness and irresponsibility of this love, I have no duty to be anyone's friend, and no man in the world has a duty to be mine. No claims, no shadow of necessity. Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. It has no survival value. Rather, 
It is one of those things which give value to survival. Have you been able to see that in your own experience of friendships? Of, of it's actually the un, unnecessary quality of it that actually brings such joy, such delight, and real value or meaning to your life. It can be one of the greatest riches of our lives to be able to have a, a real friend to be able to walk through life with. Yeah, more than a than a companion, but we kind of use that word too to capture like this broad relationship, a friendship, a companion, someone who's with me uh, through it all, and not because they have to be, but because they want to be. And in that, there's this naked personality. I don't need to like put on anything. I can just be myself, be seen. How do I know that I have a true friend? Well, it's tested. This is one of my favorite. Um, this is one of my favorite paragraphs in the whole book. He says the common quest or vision which unites friends does not absorb them in such a way that they remain ignorant or oblivious of one another. On the contrary, it is the very medium in which their mutual love and knowledge exist. One knows nobody so well as one's fellow. Every step of the common journey tests his mettle. And the tests are tests we fully understand because we are undergoing them ourselves. Hence, as he rings true time after time, our reliance, our respect, and our admiration blossom into an appreciative love of a singularly robust and well-informed kind. If at the outset we had attended more to him and less to the thing our friendship is about, we should not have come to know or love him so well. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes as if he were your mistress. Better fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. Beautiful, huh? Tests, the friendship tests his mettle. It's that journey that brings out the true character of the other person. And if you want to find the true warrior, the poet, the philosopher, the Christian, don't just stare into their eyes. Fight beside them, read beside them, argue with them, and pray with them. So it is that that true testing that allows the, the ultimate quality of that friendship to come out. And please tell me you've seen that. Tell me you've been able to do that for somebody else. It's one of those things that, yeah. Oh, you know who your true friends are. Not when things are good, but when things are bad, when things are rough, when things start to be stripped away or really tossed into the storm of life. And it's like, who's still standing there? And that's a person to hold on to. And it may not have been the person that you expected, but that's a person that you can really see and know will be there. And finally, this brings us then after like it's the friendships are tested to an appreciation. C.S. Lewis says humility is the most important virtue for friendship. And it's humility that brings us to an appreciation that sometimes he wonders what he is doing there among his betters. To be able to 
stand there in a group of friends to look around and maybe just wonder, appreciate, what am I doing here? These other good men, these other good ladies. And to, to feel almost unworthy. And yet it is that spirit of gratitude, appreciation that we are together, bonded together through common tests, common trials, and common beliefs to be able to walk with one another and to bring out the best. I'll spare you the rest of the chapter. He goes on for another uh, 10 pages or so describing some of the, um, some further difficulties of friendships between the sexes. He describes um, friendship as uniquely spiritual as against corporal, where do you say that, corporeal? That's it, corporeal, like affection and eros. Those are both very bodily loves. And he says this can be dangerous. He says the worst sins are actually spiritual. And he'll go through and list three of the main um, dangers of friendships, kind of like he did with affection. Like what are the downfalls? What are the pitfalls? The... First is that it, there's a distrust to authorities. The authorities often can't stand when um, underlings, so to speak, form different friendships. They're harder to control and to um, have them serve in the way that you want to serve. And so, yeah, that can be a real, a real threat. There's also great temptation to elitism, this cliquishness. The ancients saw it as a school of virtue, but it, friendships can also be a school of vice. A great question is, who are your friends? Who are, the, who are the people that you surround yourself with? What do they value? How do they act? Um, what do they believe in? What do they do in their free time? And those are the things that most likely you, would, you will follow as, as well. Um, it's easy to be blinded by the people we surround ourselves with and form this kind of like group think. It's easy to be blinded. And then the last one is, uh, the last danger is that it's really easy to maybe miss the relationship between God and man whenever we over, overly rely on this love of friendship. And I found this fascinating. Again, we'll save this for another podcast altogether. But um, he says it's, it's interesting that rarely the image that Scripture uses to describe between God and man is friendship. Scripture ignores the seemingly almost angelic relation. He's talking about friendship. And Scripture plunges into the depth of what is most natural and instinctive. Affection is taken as the image when God is represented as our Father, and Eros, romantic love, when Christ is represented as the bridegroom of the church. So, fascinating, right? Because how often do we hear and do we use in our church circles, Jesus is your friend. God desires a friendship with you. And this is true. This is very true. God is our friend. He says literally in John 15, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. But that's also 
only in one place in sacred scripture that Jesus would use that. And we see throughout scripture, and this is where in our English language that we have love as opposed to when John talks about God, he says God is agape, <laughs> right? And so whenever, whenever we really look at the, the love that God has for us, it's rarely used in friendship terms and much more so in this eros, this covenantal love between a bridegroom and a bride or between as affection, that love between a father and his children, his beloved sons and daughters. And I think what C.S. Lewis is emphasizing here is um, that friendship has a lot of pitfalls in the, the sense that it's, it's a very spiritual love in the, in the way that it's, it kind of uh, supersedes any of the emotional aspects or instinctive aspects of affection and romance. And so in the spiritual sense, it's dangerously close to the angels and can be twisted and distorted. And we can actually miss um, this full corporeal love that, um, that actually corresponds to who we are as body and soul composites, as, as being human beings. So, whew, a lot there. Is this 45 minutes? Holy cow. If you're still listening, God bless you and God reward you. Um, but hopefully it's been um, insightful. There's so much here in this um, idea of, of friendships to look at our, our own past, look at those people that have been in our lives and those people that are in our lives. And uh, yeah, I'm left with kind of the last thing that he, he emphasizes, that idea of humility that leads to appreciation. What am I doing here amongst my betters? amongst these people that maybe, yeah, I wouldn't feel like I'm, I'm worthy of. And yet in a sense, I've been chosen without it being, uh, explicitly said. And here we are together and to stand side by side, to take on the world and ultimately to find those people that will bring me to heaven. They can inspire great holiness and virtue and trusting in the Lord. Those are the people that I want to stand side by side with to bring me to heaven. So God bless you. God reward you for this long podcast, um, but a beautiful one. Let's keep each other in prayer and look forward to being with you next time. Peace. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Drybones Ministries, events, and initiatives, and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks, and God bless you.